Would you open your Bibles to 1 Peter 1? We'll get there in just a moment. What I've learned is the little things that make the biggest, lasting difference. It's the little things. I've learned it as a husband. I've learned it as a dad. I've learned it as a son. It isn't the grand vacations. It's emptying the dishwasher. It's not the sweet cards left on the pillow. It's turning my socks inside out before I put them in the laundry hamper. It's not the big things. It's the little tiny detailed things. It isn't the expensive Christmas present. It's showing up at their ball games, whether they get to play or not, and sitting there the entire time watching. It's the everyday average mundane choices that we make that make us. Speaking of little things, this is intimidating. Because when I stand here, I will not wow you with my intelligence, not in this crowd. My oration skills are average, especially if Beth DeFazio's in here. (laughs) And my insights are all borrowed. So what I simply give you today, my hope is to set myself apart by being the first speaker this school year to stay within the time limit. (laughs) You don't fall into greatness. You achieve it moment by moment, incrementally. There's a passage that always inspires me. It was in one of those Sundays when I took my dad's big Bible when I didn't understand the preacher and I started leaping through the Bible and my dad turned to a page and pointed me to 1 Chronicles chapter 12. Now these are the ones who came to David at Ziklag while he was still restricted because of Saul the son of Kish. And they were among the mighty men who helped him in war. They were equipped with bows, using both the right hand and the left to sling stones and to shoot arrows from the bow. It stuck with me that day. That one Sunday morning when I was disinterested in what my preacher was talking about, I realized the mighty men of David were pretty awesome. But the one thing I'll always remember about these guys is they could shoot the bow left or right-handed. They could throw rocks left or right-handed. They had a skill that you're not just born with, you have to develop. I could have been a great basketball player except for my left hand. I can't dribble with it. I can foul with it like a pro, but I can't dribble with it. You know why I can't dribble with my left hand? Because I didn't spend one second trying. I'm right-handed. I just went to my natural gifting. So I can go to the right and I can shoot with the right, but if you take my right away from me, I might as well go sit down. And David's mighty men, it says in verse 38, all these being men of war, who could draw up in battle formation, came to Hebron with a perfect heart to make David king over all Israel. Why did they work so hard to be so good at what they were doing? Because they cared about the king. My assignment that Isaac gave me was to talk to you about how you're called to prepare. Which really is incidental by the fact that you're coming to a Christian college to do this thing. Oh, but let's remember, being here doesn't mean you're preparing. Being here may just mean you're paying to sleep in a dorm, which really is a bad idea if you don't wake up. (laughs) So don't spend your money to sleep in a dorm. Spend your time and your effort to prepare your hearts to protect our king, to establish his kingdom, and to make yourself as useful as you can, right-handed, left-handed, everything you've got. This is what we're called to do. You see, ambidextrous warriors don't just happen. They make themselves such. And so my challenge is simply up front. To understand that this preparation you're putting in... Austin, you preached my sermon. You did better than me. This matters. 
What we're doing here is important. Not just for a grade. Your grade point doesn't matter. I I know I'm going to mess Doug up by saying this out loud, but I graduated a long, long time ago. No one's ever looked at my transcripts. So I've been lying ever since. Well, maybe not. I just don't tell them about Greek. I want you to notice what Paul does here in 2 Corinthians chapter 6. But in everything commending ourselves, now notice what he talks about. He's going to talk about hard and he's going to talk about easy. He says, but in everything commending ourselves as servants of God, in much endurance, in affliction, in hardship, in distress, in beatings, in imprisonment, in tumults, in labors, in sleeplessness, in hunger. Sound like finals week? <laughs> then he goes to the positive. In purity, in knowledge, in patience, in kindness, in the Holy Spirit, in genuine love, in the word of truth, in the power of God, by the weapons of righteousness for the right hand and the left. Paul might just be calling us to be mighty men and women of our king. Not superheroes from comic books, but real people that are preparing right now to give God our very best. Let's just call it a heart abandoned. No silver or gold. Just want you, the most valuable thing we know. Relentless preparation is our calling. I may have used this previously, But it's something that really stuck with me. I have a very dear friend. Isaac and I both share this friend. He's a coach at Web City. And if you don't know, the greatest idol in this land is Web City football. It's worshipped on Fridays by 5,000 people, probably more than the entire town worship on Sunday. But Coach Smith is the football coach. And we were at a CIY move one summer, and he went by a couple of football players, and he said to him, did you work out this morning? And they looked at him, and you could tell they hadn't. They looked at him and they kind of shrugged their shoulders. Mike looked at these two players without saying another word with arrow-like precision. With the right and left hand, he slayed open their soul. He looked at them and he said, Carthage just got better. And he walked away. Oh, I'll move on. You get the point. I want you to look with me at 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 13 through 16. You know this already. I'm here to remind you of it. What is the path of preparation? Well, for each one of us, it's going to look a little bit different. Some of you will study in depth into languages, and some of you will study in depth into educational processes for children, or educational process for preteens, or high school, or adult. You'll study the paths of discipleship. You'll disciple people differently. You don't, one size doesn't fit all in the kingdom. That's why we need to use our right and our left hand. We need to open our minds to new patterns, but Peter gives us, he gives us the building blocks for whatever your preparation is. Let's read verses 13 through 16. Therefore, prepare your minds for action. Be self-controlled. Set your hope fully on the grace to be given you when Jesus Christ is revealed. As obedient children, do not conform to the evil desires you had when you lived in ignorance. But just as he who has called you is holy, so be holy in all you do. For it is written, be holy, because I am holy. Now, I know when I'm talking to Bible college students training for ministry and various parachurch ministries and teaching and uh, co-ops over with Southern, that you're training yourself to be a light in a dark place. Peter tells us how to do this. He says, first of all, get get your understanding down. Be holy because God is holy. This is what God told us to do. Right out of the book of Leviticus, Peter pulls this. And we all know, you've heard this enough, holiness means to be separate. When it refers to God, what it's telling us is he's not like us. God is not worried at all you're going to catch him. He's not worried at all that you're going to usurp his throne. 
You and I couldn't even climb up on it. It is so much higher and exalted than we'll ever be. When he talks about us being holy, he's not talking about us being greater than everything else. He's actually talking about us being holy his. To be holy like God is holy is to be set apart for the purposes of God, not for our own purposes. Which means if you want to become ambidextrous, you want to be able to do ministry for all of those you meet and prepare yourself for this, it's going to take more work than you've ever put in. Remember, the day you take off means the other team just got really good without even trying. To be holy means to be holy His. So here's my premise today. If you're called to prepare, you're called to prepare your minds, you're called to prepare your will, and you're called to prepare your heart. It's really simple. It's all found right there in verse 13. So let's walk through it. You need to prepare yourself daily to reorient your mind. This is not something you did. You might look back at a moment in camp or a moment at a move conference or a moment in a youth group meeting or maybe you were driving with mom and dad and you had a heart-to-heart conversation. You're just tired of living your life by your own power and you simply said, that's the moment I became a believer of Jesus. Let me awaken you to this. Every day you put your feet on the ground, you need to remake that decision. We must daily reorient our minds because we're hearing messages, we're getting uh, all these variables bringing into our life ideas and thoughts and we have to take every thought captive, every thought captive daily. And I'll tell you from a wounded follower of Jesus, I've taken weeks and months at a time with no influence of God's word and God's spirit into my life and tried to do ministry. It is a desperate act of a desperate man. Preparation. He says, therefore, prepare your minds for action. Be self-controlled. Some translations are really, really awkward. I think we can say that. When man translates the scripture, sometimes we get weird. One of the translations reads, gird up the loins of your mind. That might be the worst word picture I've ever heard in my entire life. You see, you can't be holy gods in a distracting world unless you prepare your mind for action. The closest idiom we might have is, get ready. Roll up your sleeves. My, my son, he's not a little guy anymore, but he's 13 years of age, and he says to me every now and then, you want to go, old man? And I'm like, you better be talking about driving somewhere, because I can still hurt you. I tell him all the time, you're not ready to make that call. When you are, call me, I'm right here. And he just smiles this big smile, because one day he's going to whip me. But he's telling me, get ready. He says here that you are to prepare your minds for action. The word is dia noe. Dia means through, noia means the mind. It's kind of fascinating. In Hebrews 12, when I looked up the word, there's actually a phrase in Hebrews 12, this will make Ragsdale happy, where it says, let the word of God dia noia you. Let it debate you. Wrestle with it and limp away, but wrestle with it, people. Don't think because you had a class in college, that you don't need to go back and retill that soil and pull up all the fruit and gems of it. I have learned more post-Bible college because Bible college taught me to learn. I think that's what the best part of education was for me. I didn't know how to learn. High school was a breeze. Just don't cause trouble. Be nice to the teachers. You pass. I'm seeing a lot of head shake. They're probably freshmen. Because the reality of what I just told you is what we all experience. What we learn in college is how to learn. Don't ever... Let your mind believe for a second you know enough to not be refreshed in the Word of God daily. 
This is a choice we get to make. Let the word of God de-annoya you. Let it debate with you. Paul even says in Romans chapter 10, he says to some Christians, for I bear them witness that they have a zeal without knowledge. He's not complimenting them. They're excitable. They're happy. They're really, they just can't wait to go do this, but they don't know what they're doing. Because their minds are not focused on the preeminence of Jesus, the power of his word, and the gospel. Being gospel-centered starts with our ability to focus on what Jesus has said, not what the world's showing us, not what the world's begging us to alter. It's calling us all to prepare daily. In verse 23 of this chapter, Peter will say, For you have been born again, not of perishable seed, but through the living and enduring word of God. Really? So this guy came to... Ozark Christian College spoke in chapel and he told us we ought to study the Bible? Absolutely. Because for some of you, you're thinking that you're going to walk out of here ready to go. No, you've just learned what going means. And I'm not making fun of it. You're getting a great education. I, I envy that I didn't get to come to this school. I'd love to be an alumni of this school. Just the influence of some of your professors have had on me post-school. But I tell you, one of the best things you can do is force your face to get in the Word of God every morning and reorient your mind from all of the stuff Netflix showed you the night before. Because the most popular shows right now, I'm not saying you shouldn't watch them. I'm just saying you shouldn't listen to what they're telling you. Because they're reorienting your mind in binge mode. So refresh yourself. Matt Chandler says this, fill your life and mind with things that stir your affections for Jesus. Stir, I love that. Fill your heart and mind with things that stir your affection for Jesus. So, preparing yourself starts with reorienting your mind. Second, reorienting your will. He says in verse 22, you obeyed from the heart that form of teaching. You obey, that's the will. It takes a will to obey, it takes a will to choose. It isn't blind obedience. I so tire of, of people that I talk to about faith and about following Jesus. I tire, not like I, I hate them for this, but it's a frustration of mine that they think that Christians had just simply put their minds on off and do what the Bible says because they don't want to go to hell. And I'm like, no, I obey because it works. I'm a, I'm a pragmatist. There are certain parts of the Bible I'm like, ah, it makes no sense to me. And there are other parts I'm like, oh, it didn't make sense till I did it. You see, our faith cannot survive without an engagement of our mind, and our faith cannot be displayed without an engagement of our will. Tell me what you believe, but show me. I can tell my wife I love her, but when my nasty sweat socks are turned inside out for her to put her pretty little hand in, she sometimes wonders if I really love her. When I can load a dishwasher and not turn it on, she wonders if I should be able to drive alone. She's like, dude, you were a foot from the button. I'm like, you're right. I can tell her I love her, but my love is displayed through my obedience. And yes, I'll use that word. I obey her because I fear her. Verse 17. Since you call on a father who judges each man's work impartially, live your lives as strangers. Do you see that there in verse 17? Strangers? You all know this, but... Paul uses a very, excuse me, Peter uses a very strategic word there in strangers. The Greek word that means to being living permanently in a land while a citizen of another. You know what it is. It's called being an exile. Would hearken them back to the days of being taken into Babylon. 
But I love what Timothy Keller does with this. He says there's three kinds of strangers. There's immigrants, but we're not immigrants. We don't want to assimilate into a culture and leave ours behind. So we're not immigrants. And we're not tourists. We just don't show up and watch what's going on and have no active part of it but to take what we want. He said we are called, as Peter said, to be exiles. Truly living in this world, loving this world, engaging this world, ministering in this world, at the same time living on the basis of the outcomes of the land we came from and the land church we return to. You don't do that by accident. If you and I are not preparing our minds and preparing our wills, we're going to get drawn in as tourists or we're going to get drawn in as immigrants and find out that we have traded our citizenship to live in a land we never would have chosen on our own. We are choosing to prepare our minds each day. We are choosing to engage our world with loving obedience by our will. And lastly, to reorient your heart. This is found in verse 13. Set your hope fully on the grace to be given you when Jesus Christ is revealed. Set your hope on the grace through Jesus. A mighty person of God prepares themselves to defend the king to promote the kingdom, to live in obedience and at the will and beck and call. One of the stories of the Bible that I don't understand, and I become more comfortable the older I get, being able to say, I don't get this story, but it's going to get to me one day. Just because I don't get it doesn't mean it couldn't be gotten. just means I'm not ready yet. But if I'm the mighty men of, of David, and I go all the way back to Bethlehem to his favorite well to get him a cup of his favorite drink, and he pours it out on the ground when I come back, I'm not a happy soldier. But David said, I I can't drink this. I'm not worthy of this. But they loved their king. Do you see what they did? They risked their lives. They prepared their lives each and every day so that David would be made king. They did this for another person. I don't know what David did to earn that affection. But I know what Jesus did. So how how do I become holy, holy? How do I become holy, committed to the holiness of my God? We're taught to remember Set your hope fully on the grace given to you when Jesus Christ is revealed. This is what the world doesn't understand about this place. And there are debates going on now. They don't understand you and me. We're not better than them. By any stretch of the imagination, I'm not better than another human being. If my history were read right now, you'd take this microphone from me and the Bible out of my hand. But I'm telling you right now, the one thing I'm betting my life on is Jesus Christ didn't lie. The man who walked out of that tomb did not lie. And he said he's coming back. And when he comes back, I want to cry out, Oh Lord, and in the positive way. Because a large majority of the people that we interact with every day are going to cry out, Oh Lord, in a negative way. And at that point in time, I am betting my life. I am risking not being as satisfied as some are. I'm willing to risk not being as happy or content or rich or famous or whatever else that means to people today. Not because I'm better, because I've tasted some of that and it's overrated. At the end of the day, when Jesus comes back, I want to run to Bethlehem and draw him a drink from his well that he'll drink. Set your hope fully on the grace. Verse 18. I leaned over to Isaac while you guys were singing Heart Abandoned. And I thought, that's funny. Here's the second part of my sermon. Look at verse 18. For you know that it was not with perishable things such as silver or gold that you were redeemed from the empty way of life handed down to you from your forefathers. Silver or gold, I don't want. I just want you. But with the precious blood of Jesus. For you were redeemed with the precious blood of Jesus. Now stop. 
If you're anything like me, you're sitting here right now going, I know, duh, Jesus died. That's the problem. When that truth becomes a historical fact, our minds, our wills, and our hearts can become disconnected. But to spend time in the presence of the grace that we were not bought with gold and silver, we were not bought for temporary satisfaction, we were bought by a man who was willing to suffer exceedingly beyond what any human has ever suffered so that you and I would understand at the end of the day there is something more valuable to him than fame and it was us. Which means there ought to be something more valuable to us than anything this world has to offer us. Ministry can get in the way of doing ministry. I need a big church. I need a good town. I need something to do. I need entertainment at night. I I need my kids to go to the right schools. Ministry can get in the way of ministry. Because whether you intend it or not, it's really easy. When you get in this pressurized funnel of ministry, it's really easy to say, I thought it would be different. I've learned to just simply say, it is what it is. And at the end of the day, can I get my master a drink from the well? I have to prepare myself to be right-handed and left-handed in ministry every day or I will default to what I do naturally and Jesus deserves more than what I do naturally. Jesus deserves what I choose to do intentionally. You and I are called to prepare. We prepare our minds in the truth. We prepare our hearts and wills in obedience. And then we give our loyalty and our affection to our King so that at the end of all time, more people will cry out, Oh my Lord, in the good way than we'll ever cry out, oh my God, in the worst. Let's pray. Father, may we take advantage of the opportunities in this place. May you protect this property by the power of all of your authority, that your word will never be compromised, that it will be held onto, bought into, sold out for, that the students that are wondering right now whether this process they're in is worth it, God, would you call them back to who you are and would you answer their questions? For those who are about to launch out of this place into ministry, I'm excited. We need more help in the field. Would you prepare their hearts now and teach them how to prepare their minds, their wills, and their hearts and souls for you? As you ask us to, to love you with all of our heart, mind, soul, and strength. God, you deserve it. Jesus, thank you. We choose to prepare to serve you. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.